You're listening to the Property Nomads podcast, your one-stop shop for property, business, and travel-related content, tying it all together to help guide you towards success. If you like the podcast, please share with others, subscribe, and leave us a review. So get your gear together and let's get going. Delighted to be joined today by Ahmed Khan. Ahmed is a very proficient speaker in the property industry, does a lot of service accommodation and also does a lot of uh, the BRR model, which is buy, renovate and refinance. And Ahmed predominantly does that down in London. Well, Ahmed, thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. Go straight into the BRR model, which a lot of people will be familiar of. The minute we say that, and a lot of people do it up north, a lot of investors do it up north, but you're doing it in London. So yes. dive into how you're making that strategy work in your area. So I think you have to break it down into two fundamental concepts. The first one is we're trying to buy at a discount, which you know again applies whether you're up north or you're down south. Everyone's trying to initially buy at a discount because if you can get a discount up front, um, you know, uh, up front, that means one, you've built in a bit of equity. So I always say, you know, a lot of people, what they do is they buy a property, then they wait years and years and years for the property prices to go up. Well, if you can buy slightly cheaper, then you already have that equity built in from day one, which is the first benefit. The second benefit is the fact that, you know, the, the market right now is in a bit of a weird place right now where no one exactly knows what's going to happen. So it could go up, it could go down, but no one exactly knows what's going to happen. So if you can buy at a discount, you also safeguard yourself from any uh, potential you know, downturns. Because let's say you bought a £100,000 property for £80,000. If the market was to slightly go down, you still have that equity buffer built in, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the first concept is buying slightly cheaper. The second part of this equation is that you have to add as much value as possible. Now, adding value, that could be through a refurb, it could be extending the lease, it could be adding bedrooms, those sort of things. Generally, what we're doing in London is we're adding bedrooms. So we're buying a one-bedroom property and then reconfiguring it by adding a second bedroom, which then increases the value. Not only does it increase the value, but it also increases the rental of the property, which then increases your cash flow. So I think it's, you know, you know the strategy is basically based on those two concepts, one, buying slightly cheaper, and then adding as much value as possible to create as much equity early on as possible, really. That second point is really, really important because when a lot of people get involved in property and they go along this route of, you know, let's buy, let's get some discount, let's do a, you know, a mini refurb and then let's refinance. Well, a lot of that is centered around north. So, you know, a light refurb, lick of paint, maybe some new windows, those sort of things. What you're saying is that model, especially in London, for example, there's a lot more flexibility there because if you were to change a layout, add another bedroom as you're doing, that actually adds quite a lot more on the end. So let's just take a property in, let's just take a one bed flat in London and a one bed flat in Newcastle, for example. You could do the same works in both places, but actually in London, your GDV is going to be a lot higher at the end, which makes then that deal more viable. That makes sense. Yeah, and and see the other thing is that you know converting a one bedroom into two bedroom, whether it's in Newcastle or whether it's in London, it, it's going to cost relatively the same amount of money. Now you can argue that labour might be a bit more expensive down in London um, or, or whatever, but you know a, a boiler is going to cost what a boiler costs, or and you know a furniture is going to cost whatever furniture costs if you were to furnish it. So what we're finding is that because, like you said, the GDV is higher. 
and the cost is relatively the same, um, for the same amount of money, we can get a much bigger uplift down in London purely because of the GDP, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that this is this is one of those things about knowing your area, isn't it? And this is a, one advantage. And yeah, sorry for this stereotype for people listening, but this is one of the advantages between you know, north and south is in the south, in London, Brighton, Reading, for example, you're going to have this sort of much higher end. Just because of the location where it is. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, you know, I when it comes to comparing strategies or comparing areas, um, because obviously, you know, this is a this is a common debate uh, which kind of goes on, right? Which is, should I do this strategy? Should I do that strategy? Should I do north? Should I do south? And I think at the end of the day, there isn't a right or wrong answer, and there isn't one is better than the other. I think it's a case of you aligning yourself to whatever your goals are. So. You know, I always say if someone's looking for cash flow, then they're better off doing a rent to rent strategy and not necessarily a strategy which is like a buy to less strategy because it doesn't make as much cash flow in the short term. Right. Whereas at the same time, if someone's goal is, um, you know, they don't really need the short term cash flow, they want to build for the long term, then they should be doing something which is a, a longer term play, like um, buying a property and holding it for 10, 20 years and waiting for it to appreciate. And I think the same applies within areas as well. So. I don't think there is a right or wrong area. I think it's just a case of working out whatever you're trying to achieve and working backwards to find an area and a strategy which fits. Because that's quite a common conundrum, isn't it, where people might be based in London and if they if they set out without you know any clear strategy or, or clear goals, you know they might end up you know being sporadic and investing in loads of different places. So you're absolutely right. You need to, no matter where in the country you are figure out what exactly you're after and then you do one of two things you either work with people in different areas and build up that rapport or you do it on your own doorstep there's really no right or wrong as you say yeah i think you know there's there's two big things here one is the right area and the right strategy and i think people should potentially look at the strategy first as opposed to the area the reason i say that is because you know you're you're this, your goals are going to be based on the sorry your 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 the strategy you pick that's going to come from your goals. So if your goal is let's say cash flow, then the right strategy let's just say is rent to rent, HMO rent to rent service accommodation whatever you want to call it. So you got your goal now you've got your strategy now it's a case of just finding an area which fits that strategy. Whereas I feel if you look at the area first, the problem you have is. Let's just assume a cash flow strategy doesn't work in your area. Now you're almost bound to doing something which doesn't align with your goals. So that's why I always say work out the goals, then work out the strategy which helps you get to those goals and then find an area accordingly which maps onto that strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's great advice as well because it could be, you know, a lot of people could be like a rabbit in the headlights when they first get involved in property because they're not thinking of what it is exactly they want. So what you're saying really is hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, I think uh, right now I just uh, actually, funnily enough, I did a, another podcast earlier today and I was speaking about this, which is, you know, one of the biggest challenges people have in property right now is the fact that uh, 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't all this choice. It was if you wanted to do property, you would just do buy to let. That's essentially what you would do. Now you've got HMO, you've got service combination, you've got deal packaging, you've got commercial conversion. And then you have uh, subsets of those strategies like rent to rent HMO, rent to rent service combination. And, and it, the list goes on and on and on. So what I find is that a lot of people are very confused in terms of where should they start, like, you know, which area, which strategy, because there is so much out there that people get a bit confused as to where they, where they should start. 
So I think it's really a case of working out what you're trying to do and work backwards from there until you get to the strategy and get to the area and then sticking with that one thing long enough to get to wherever you're trying to get to. And that's really that's really profound advice. And for people listening that haven't done that, go and do that. Do that as your ex. Do it as an exercise. Create your goals and go and follow exactly what Amit just said. Cause it's you know, I mean, you're a very successful person, a very well-known person in property. How how did you get started in the first place? What's your driving force behind doing what you do? So I finished university in September 2016, and I finished university and I didn't want to get a job straight away. So I was exploring different ideas and I came up with an idea for an app and I had another idea. I was going to basically flip a car, right? Buy a car cheaper up north, sell it down south, all that sort of stuff, which a lot of people have done. But, it, you know, both of those sort of didn't work. I made a lot of mistakes. I lost a bit of money there. And the reason I got into property was because see, it's, it's one of those industries where nothing new really has to be invented. All you have to do is find someone who's doing it, replicate what they do, and you'll get similar results. So, uh, you know, because there isn't anything new here. People have been doing it for years and years. And I know there are some strategies which are relatively newer, but it's a case of finding something which works and then copying it and pasting it in your area. Because, see, uh, you know, property is one of those things that if you're making something work in Newcastle, I can copy that and make it work down south where I am or up north where someone else is. So the reason I got into property was because I, I personally felt that if I could find someone who was uh, making this work and replicate what they did, I'll get similar results. And because it's, it's a tried and tested model, it's been going, it's been done for years and years and years. That's how I got into it. Now, I was, again, you know, in the position where a lot of people are, where they're confused about which strategy should they do. Should it be buy to lay? Should it be HMO? Should it be this? Or should it be that? And after university, uh, my knowledge of property was essentially buy to lead, that I, I assumed everyone just did buy to leads. Like you buy a property, you rent it out, and that was the extent of property. And what I found was that buy to lead, uh, you know, it's a good strategy, but it's obviously it takes a long time to build up passive cash flow because you would need a lot of buy, to, a lot of, a lot of buy to leads. So that's when I got into rent to rent strategies, um, purely because it didn't need as much money and you can do it much, much faster. Now, going back to this whole conversation of I don't think this is the right strategy or the right area, now I'm doing a lot of stuff which is much slower, but it's a long-term hold, right? I'm buying and holding for years and years and years because the cash flow side of things are taken care of, and now I'm um, doing the other side of things, which is like building for the long term. So I think it's really a case of, you know, working out your goals and working backwards, and that's essentially what I did, which is out of university, my goal was to get cash flow as fast as possible because I wasn't going to get a job. And the strategy which allowed me to get cash flow was rent-to-rent service accommodation. And for a good two and a half years, that's pretty much all I did. And only recently have I started buying properties. But for a long, long time, that's pretty much all I was doing. In terms of your current service accommodation portfolio, then, is that something that you continue to add to? Or is your sole focus now on a blend of speaking and doing what you're doing down in London? Well, with service accommodation... Um, I'm still doing service accommodation on a rent-to-rent basis, but I'm not actively growing the rent-to-rent portfolio. What I'm looking to do is grow the portfolio which I buy and then potentially use those properties as service accommodation because that way I've got the, I've got the combination of both of them. I, I can mix both the strategies together. So they're, even though they're still under the same service accommodation umbrella, one is rent-to-rent and one is buying. Uh, I'm giving a lot more of my time to the buying side of things as opposed to the rent-to-rent side of things because I've done it for two and a half years. I've sort of 
taking care of the cash flow sort of things, um, which then gives me a pretty good platform to move on and do other things. And I think everyone should look at property that way, which is that, you know, each strategy is almost like a stepping stone into something bigger. You know, you want to you want to progress and keep doing things which are bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how people should look at it. That if you've done maybe 10 flips, which made you 30,000 pounds each, how would you then do a flip which makes you maybe 60,000, maybe 70,000? Because, you know, at the end of the day, um, people want to grow, right? People want to take on new challenges, do bigger things. And uh, that's essentially where I am with it, which is having a combination of both. In terms of running through numbers, because everyone, you know, everyone likes to get a bit nosy and know the numbers. Are you okay to share some numbers of um, a completed deal that you've done using that strategy down in London? Yeah, absolutely fine. Uh, Are we talking service combination or BRR? Oh, let's do one of each. Okay, so let's start with BRR. So with BRR, the first one I bought was at the end of last year, and that's just about to go through a refinance now. Now, the essential, uh, obviously, the pro, uh, just to step people through, the plan is you buy cheap, you add some value, and then you refinance and you hold for the long term. That is essentially what the play is here. Now, I bought something for 237000 237500 That was a one-bedroom apartment in Battersea. Now, that revaluation is going through right now. Uh, I think it is on £320,000 as a revaluation at an 80% loan-to-value. What that will mean is, to put the numbers simpli- uh, simply, the money left in, i.e. I bought for 237, is gonna be revalued at 320. The money left in is gonna be around, if I remember correctly, around the 25,000 pounds mark. That is how much money is gonna be left in in the deal uh, by the time the whole thing is done. Which I think for London standards is pretty good. Now, it's one of those things, this is, this is where the challenge comes in when you start comparing numbers between different areas because obviously down south, we're massively hinged on capital growth, right? We're, we're banking on capital growth more so than other factors, I suppose. The property still has to cash flow. We still obviously do the rental calculations, all those sort of things. But I'm happy to leave a, leave a bit more money in because I know potentially the property is going to appreciate a lot more in the coming years and you end up making a lot more money that way. Any, anything else you would put? Would want to know about the BRR, that particular deal or the strategy, or no, not for certainly not for my benefit. I do think though for people listening that they can take, you know, heed from that just to yep. show that leave. You know, number one, there's no shame in leaving money in a deal. There is absolutely no shame at all. And number two, what you've pointed out there, Ahmed, which is crucial, is there is nine times out of ten, you know, the bulk of the capital growth in in the country, in the United Kingdom. It all really does start in in London. You know, London is one of the. Well, it's one of the best. I, I, I think you know. Yeah, I, th- I think you raised an interesting point here about leaving money in, um, which is that a lot of people, you know, they try to find this deal which has absolutely nothing left in, and that's fine. But that is a bit of a challenge down south, purely because of you know the, the prices are so high. Uh, that is a bit of a challenge, but you know you kind of have to look at it this way: that you can still have a very very good deal which has money left in. Because now let's just assume you had £50,000 left in, um, but you were making, I'm being very hypothetical here, but you're making, I don't know, let's say £500 net profit per month. If you made £500 net profit per month, that's about £6,000 per year, right? So you're making £6,000 cash per year on £50,000 which you left in. That's about 12% 
return on your money every single year. You know, where, where else are you getting 12% on your money? Uh, the bank's giving you about 1%. If you're very good at trading, you might get 6, 7, 8%. So you're getting 12% and you're left in 50,000 pounds. So I think this notion of leaving money in, if you can do it, great, but I wouldn't be hell-bent on, well, if a deal, if I can't take all my money out, then I'm not going to do it. Because even if you leave money in, by the standards of investing, where you can get a 10, 11, 15% return, that's still a very, very good return on money. Absolutely. You and I have seen off the same hymn sheet. It's, it's that sort of mental factor that people need to accept that it is okay to leave you know money in a deal and especially doing you know more so more so in the south to an extent because you said that you know that flat you know rent um remortgage you know 320 as you said well it's Battersea given everything that's going on you know economically and you know additions to the underground lines etc 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 I mean it's feasible and again at the time of recording we're still you know in this Brexit limbo um, but but feasibly in the next few years, you know that flat could be worth four four hundred, maybe four two five, and that's where you start to realise sort of the, the even more exciting potential. Which people need to go in with this long term ideology of are you are you getting enough discount to buy when when you're buying? Are you adding enough value? And especially if you're doing it in the south, are you doing it in an area where there's a lot of economic prospects and the capital growth is gonna you know, far outweigh anything that we get up in the north. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, again, that's a very interesting point because, uh, you know, let's just do a hypothetical case here. Let's say you buy something um, for £100,000, but you're left in £25,000, for example. If that property was to then double in value over, I don't know, X number, X number of years, and now it's worth £200,000, well, that's gone up by £100,000, right? Which is a 400% return on the money you left in. Now, because obviously you only had 25,000 pounds in and it's gone up by another 100 and the, the money, the value it goes up by, obviously that's your equity. So you, from 25,000 pounds, made 100, which is 400% return. I mean, where else are you getting 400% return? So I think it's a notion of, I wouldn't worry too much about does it take, you know, does it leave money in or does it not leave money in? I think it's a case of, Working out, well, if it leaves in 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, what is the return on that money? Because, for example, if you were, you know, doing um, trading stocks or buying shares in a company, you would have to leave money in. You know, when you, when you buy the share or the stock, you essentially put the money in on which you get a return, right? Uh, in any sort of investment. So I think this is no different here. I think it's a case of working out, well, if I leave my money in, what is the return I'm going to get on that money? And if it's a good enough return, that's pretty sweet. It is all about the numbers. The devil is always in the detail when it comes to this sort of thing. And the the point that you make about, you know, knowing what your goals are and then having focus, you know, that's really, really fundamental because it's very easy to get scatterbrained, to go from, you know, to A to B to C. And I'll hold my hands up. I'm, I'm not much better. You know, podcasts going books coming out, sourcing, uh, you know, doing some project management, starting to, you know, network with people with more finance, starting to look at bigger deals, commercials, you know, all of that. And just from saying that, I realise how scatterbrained that sounds, where yourself, you're going, you're, you're pretty much going back to basics and you're going, you know, I've got my rent to rent service accommodations here that I'm adding. I've got, 
you know, following the BOR model down in an area that I'm that I know, I'm doing some speaking on the side. You know, the, just the differences in 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 that you are a lot more focused than I am just at the time of recording, and you know that proves in the pudding because some of the stuff you're doing is is fantastic. So yeah, I think what's interesting is that as you start to do more property or as you start to grow any sort of business, what I find is, you know, the, the better you do at it, the more opportunity you tend to attract because someone will say, why don't you do this or why don't you do that or can you help me with this or can you help me with that? And you naturally just attract opportunities. So, you know, for example, this podcast, I'm sure you get people coming to you saying, can you do X, Y, and Z? And I feel like that happens more and more as you do whatever business you're in, as you continue to grow. And I think the key ready is to, say no to anything which doesn't align with where you're trying to go. And sometimes, you know, it's not even that it doesn't align with where you're trying to go. It's just it requires too much time and you can potentially do something else, which probably takes less time and get to the same goal. I, you know, I had some opportunities at the end of last year where they aligned with what I was trying to do, but I could have done it. I could have done some different things which would have achieved the same result, but in less time. And I think it's a case of saying no as much as you say yes at times um, and only doing the stuff which you really should be doing. Because if you end up doing too much, now you're only, yeah, you know, giving 20% of your attention to a five different things as opposed to giving 50% attention to two different things. And, uh, you know, as we know, things do tend to compound, right? So if you put a lot of energy into just one thing, you do get better at it much, much faster and you do start to grow that one particular thing much, much faster. So I've always been, um, you know, I suppose an advocate of doing fewer things and getting really, really good at one, those few things as opposed to be, being average at a whole bunch of stuff. Because what I find is you don't really tend to attract the opportunities if you're average at a bunch of stuff, but you do tend to attract a lot of opportunities when you're really good at a couple of things because people start to know you for those couple of things. So for, you know, about a good two and a half years, I only did service combination. And when it comes to, branding and posting i only posted about service combination so a lot of people started finding out that i did service combination and when they had a deal or they wanted to invest money they would naturally come to me whereas if i was doing six different things um and i wasn't really known for any of them you wouldn't attract the same opportunities and you wouldn't have the same level of growth as you would if you were doing a couple of things and i would say like yeah you know if someone plays just football and the other guy plays football tennis cricket badminton and squash if you had, if they, if those two had a football match, the guy who just plays football most likely is going to win because he's put all his time into just football. And I think the same applies here. If you do HMOs, then you should really be focused on HMOs until you've got it down to a point where you've got the systems in place, staff in place that the business doesn't need you anymore, and then you move on to do something else. Whereas I find a lot of people they do too many things too early and they don't get very good at any of them. Uh, which is a massive issue, yet they're still putting in the same amount of time. In terms of the balance of, of where you are now, so again, speaking, BRR, service combination, do you feel that, that those three things are good enough for you, as in you're very, good at, you know, you're very good at what you do and you're happy to have that focus at this current point in time? Do you mean, is that too much? Is that, is that what the question is? Well, if we're going, so if we're, so if we're saying focus, normally when someone says focus, yeah, it's focus on one thing, isn't it? Um, but, yep. you know, I'll say just highlight that I've got, probably got about eight or nine things going on and it's, yep. you know, blah, 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 blah. Yourself, you've got three sort of key areas. Do you yep. find that you're, 
that you manage them well just because there's three areas? So I, I think there's a combination of two things here. One is not focusing on too much at the same time. So like you said, I'm only doing three things. And the other thing is, I'm, uh, you know, Richard Branson has a ton of businesses, right? Like, I, I don't know if it's in the hundreds or if it's in the double digits, I don't know. But he, but he has a lot of them. So the, the reason I say that is, with service accommodation, because I've done it for two and a half years, because I've got systems in place, because I've got staff in place, VAs, those sort of things, that business doesn't require that much of my time anymore. So I don't, even though I do it, it doesn't really take up much of my focus anymore because I've sort of automated and delegated. So I don't really have an issue with people doing different things, but what I'm saying is they should really get one nailed down before they move on to the next thing. Does that sort of make sense? Because if you, if you can... If you can do one thing really well, get the system in place, automate it, delegate it, now that one machine doesn't require you to be there anymore. So mentally, it doesn't really take much of my focus. There are some small things here and there which I still have to do, but it doesn't, I'm not actively thinking about it on a day-to-day basis. So technically, I'm only right now focusing on two things. One is the speaking and one is the BRR. And the third almost isn't even in the focus. And once I get the BRR to a stage, where I've got leads coming in, I've got investors coming in, I'll probably move on and do something else, but I'm not going to move on to a fourth thing until these two are slightly bed down a bit more. One thing that I completely forgot to raise um, a couple of minutes ago when you, were, when you were talking was that the other important thing to accept when you're focusing on something, I don't know if you, you would agree with this or not, is you have to mentally accept the fear of missing out. Yes. Because if you don't accept the fear of missing out, you're then going to get into that stage where you know we all suffer from it you're all you know on our phones all the time you know checking whatsapp checking facebook you know checking our emails checking this checking that because we're a lot of us are so scared of of missing out on a lead an opportunity but if you can mentally accept that i.e you're focusing on one or two or three strategies yeah mentally if you can accept that i think your life will be a lot a lot easier to an extent because you know you're already accepting the fact that you're going to lose leads, you're going to lose opportunities, but we are in property. There, there are always going to be opportunities that exist in your field, in your strategy, in your area. Yeah, what I would say, that, and that's a really good point, and what I would say is to anyone listening, there's a really good book called uh, Measure What Matters. And the book is all about how this guy helped Google build some of their management framework. And what the book really says is you write down your objective and then you, for that one objective, you write down all the key results that you have to hit in order to achieve that objective. So now let's say, you know, the objective is a service combination. That, you know, I want 10 service combination properties. Then you write down everything, all the key results that you have to hit to get that, get to that objective. So that one might be, well, I need to get good at getting leads. So maybe that's from letting agents or estate agents, sorry, or landlords or whatever. One could be something to do with raising money. One could be about systems. One could be about some sort of something to do with networking or raising investment or whatever. I'm being a bit vague here, but my, the point is you have an objective and then you have the key results, which allow you to hit that objective. And with the key results, they have to be measurable. So it can't be something vague. It has to be, well, you know, if I do 20 viewings um, per, per week or whatever, I'll get to my goal. Now, once you have that framework using that book, every time you get a new opportunity, you know, let's say something new comes along, you basically take that new opportunity and you look at your framework and your objective and your key results and you say, well, does this opportunity align with 
my objective? Is this, is this going to help me get to my objective or not? And if it doesn't, you you have to accept that you might miss out on something, but for, for the time being, it's not going to help you get to your objective. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to take on so many different things that you have an objective in place, but you're doing all the things which don't take you to that objective. If you, because like I said, you get opportunities all the time, but if they're not taking you to where you're trying to go, then what's the point of doing it? And that's where that focus comes in, isn't it? Is by doing, by doing that and by knowing what you're striving to achieve or the goal that you're aiming towards, you're then able to align yourself properly and make better decisions. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you a perfect example, which is I had a speaking of now, you know, when it comes to speaking, one of the reasons I do speaking is because of personal branding, right? Just, just branding as a whole. So the reason I do speaking is because it puts me in front of more people. Now, I recently got invited to speak in an event, but because the event was so far, it would probably take my whole day out just to travel there, do this talk and come back. Maybe even more than a day because I'd probably have to like get a long train or get a flight or something. I would probably take a day out and I would probably be in front of 30, 40 people. So it's still an opportunity because it puts me in front of 30, 40 people. It's still a public speaking gig. But now if I'm looking at what else I can do, I'm, I could get a speaking opportunity an hour away from me and be in front of 30, 40 people. So which one is better for me? I think it's the one which is an hour away from me because I get the same result in less time. But if I'm going to say yes to everything, I would do that one as well. But once you start really focusing and start thinking, well, on which activities am I getting the best return on my time, then I would go for the one which is an hour away, not seven, eight hours away. And I think, I think that's where this, you know, this framework is really key because once you know what you're trying to do, you can start to evaluate, well, is opportunity A better than B or is C better than A? Uh, and you only do the things which help you get to your objective and you sort of have, just have to leave the rest out. And there might be some activities which help you get to your objective, but even though they help you get to your objective, there might be something else which is even better or even faster or something which takes less money. And then you have to go for that one as opposed to the one which is slower. That's how I look at it. Mm, that's a very good way to that's a very good way to look at it as well, to be honest. We're talking we're talking some very basic fundamentals here. Yeah. And again, which you know, I'm sure over time when we first started, you know, we might have been a bit more a bit more scatterbrained, but we've learned to, you know, I think as a whole, have a little bit more focus over time, despite the fact I've still got loads of stuff sort of um, going on. But yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that property, not just property, but you know, business in general, comes down to comes down to a couple of things. Number one, if you know your goals. Number two, as you've quite handedly pointed out, is you know, take the opportunities that are going to help you get to your goals and get to your goals you know, relatively quickly, or that are going to really help. Uh, number three, which we haven't covered yet, which I'm going to ask you about, is mastering the art of saying no. Now, it's very, a lot of people find it quite difficult to say no to things in general. Do you still find it difficult to turn down opportunities or have you been able to master the art of turning things down? I, I think it, it depends on the opportunity itself, right? Which is, if there's an opportunity which doesn't align with what I'm trying to do, then I have no issue turning it down. If there's an opportunity which does align with what I have to do, but potentially is slower or takes more time or requires more money, then, you know, there's, there's a bit more evaluation there, I suppose. You know, it's, it's like I could, I could do a speaking gig uh, and like I said, it might take me a day 
and it might put me in front of 30, 40 people. Whereas I can jump on a podcast like this and it takes me an hour and I get the same result, right? Or if not, more people. So this hour for me, from a personal branding point of view, is better than spending a day doing a speaking gig. So I think, um, you know, to answer your question, I think if there's an opportunity which doesn't have anything to do with what I'm doing, I'll just say no. Or, or you know what's even better than that, even better than saying no, is actually building a network and passing that opportunity to someone else who could do it or who does do it. Because that helps the person out who, who contacted you in the first place and also helps the person who you pass the lead on to or pass the opportunity on to, and it just allows you to grow your network. That is, that is possibly the best thing you can do because that way you've helped people out, uh, you've built some goodwill there, and uh, you know everyone's happy in the process. Too true, too true. And that, that can be said for you know absolutely anything. I'm talking about how to someone come to me asking quite, you know, a few questions on planning and so forth. Uh, a little while ago and you know for me it's very simple just to pass that person on to you know the best planning officer that I knew in the local area and you know just I always say you know when you touch base just you know just mention my name so they know where the leads come from and I don't think anything else of it because at some point you know the law of reciprocity you know something will come back and reward itself to you in in some way shape or form um that's, yes, that's my of course, personal belief of course, of course. And, it, and it just grows and grows your network at the same time right so you build goodwill and also you built a bigger network by passing these things on there's actually a really good book uh it's called i think it's called a power connector or something and it's basically based on this principle of you know having a network and just being able to pass things around uh, I don't know too much about, I think there's a thing called the BNI network or something, the, you know, the business networking one? Yeah. yeah. And that, that is essentially what they do, right? They, they pass a lot of referrals on uh, and they sort of grow that way. I don't know the full details about that, but I know they do partly that, which is refer, the, you know, have, have a network and refer different people to different people. And I think you should do exactly the same here. If you can't take an opportunity, have a big enough network so you can pass it on to someone who can. Build an even bigger network, build goodwill, and like you said, because of reciprocity, something might come back to you. You know, don't pass a lead on with the expectation that, well, what am I going to get out of it? You sort of just pass it on, leave it, you know, to it, and if something comes back one day, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Totally, totally agree. It's, you know, there are times where we need to be, to an extent, a little bit selfish with what we do, i.e., putting time into growing a portfolio and things like that that's part of life but certainly it comes down to sending leads on and again we're singing from the same same hymn sheet on this and other people listening need to do, should do the same is you know just pass it on you know, don't don't expect anything back because um, you know the law of attraction and so forth the universe will reward you in, in some way it might not happen for years but you know if you're of that belief it will reward you some way yeah or or it could even be a case of uh, you know, you pass something else on, that person is having a conversation with someone else one day and that lead might be the perfect lead for you and they might pass someone else on and something else can come back to you. At the end of the day, what you're doing is you're making your network bigger and bigger and bigger. So when a conversation comes up, which is to do with whatever you do, it's more likely that it's going to come back to you since you pass on other things and your name was in that conversation, your name was in that mix. Indeed, indeed. And on that note, I think it'd be a good time to do some quick-fire questions. Now, I apologise in advance. I, I don't necessarily write these questions. Uh, however, they always 
Oh, sorry. They're not necessarily the best questions, but they always provoke the best responses. So bear with me. That's fine. So, so do what, I have to answer like faster? Uh, you know, it varies. Some people give one word answers. Some people take five minutes to answer. So okay, do whatever fine, you think is appropriate. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Let's start with uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, if you try to chase two rabbits, you won't catch either one. Oh, I like that. Where did you get that from? It was in a book. I can't remember which book, but I think I think that's largely what we've been talking about today, right? Which is trying to chase too many things. And if you try to chase two rabbits at the same time, you're not going to catch either one. That's incredibly profound. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing. It's a good quote. It's a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> and then paradoxically, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, God. Worst piece of advice. Um, people telling me things, some certain things don't work and people, people's, Okay, let me change that. The worst advice is when someone is speaking from lack of experience. A lot of people say that can't work, that doesn't work, that's not right. Even though they've never done it themselves, they have no experience in doing it. And they maybe misheard someone else and they're passing their opinion on. So I think when you do take advice, you should really take it from someone from off experience, someone who's done it before, and someone whose advice actually you know matches. Because a lot of people, they kind of give out advice. And it's bad. It's just bad advice. Like, you know, they might think it's good advice, but it's actually just bad advice because it's coming from lack of experience. And a lot of people get derailed because of that. I, so many conversations I have where people say, well, I've never even considered that. And I said, why? And they said, well, this person told me it couldn't work. And that person never actually did it themselves. They just said it couldn't work. But, you know, we take it as face value and we sort of move on with it. But I think the, the worst advice is advice which comes from lack of experience or uh, lack, lack of expertise. And then finally, on, on the theme of advice, if someone was in limbo about making a decision, what one piece of advice would you give that person? Does that, does that activity take you towards your goal or does it take you away from your goal? And that's, I think that's very, very easy to work out. You simply have a goal and then you evaluate against that goal. You know, I was speaking to someone, just a friend of mine just recently, and they had, a, they had an opportunity. An opportunity came to them, completely random. But it had nothing to do with what their goals were, right? It was a good opportunity, but it had nothing to do with what their goals were. And my advice would be you have to turn that down. Because otherwise, if you keep taking on things that have nothing to do with what you're trying to do, you're never going to get there. So, uh, you know, be hell-bent on whatever you're trying to achieve and only do things which take you towards that as opposed to away from that. Because if you keep doing things which don't take you to that goal, now you're doing a whole bunch of stuff without really getting anywhere. Perfect. I think that's a fantastic way to wrap up. I mean, this episode has been full of, you know, really, really good information. And thank you for your time on that, Ahmed. Uh, finally, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. We'll put links to the the books that you've mentioned in the show notes as well, and yep. also links to so people can hunt you down. I mean that in the best best possible way. So <laughs> if people want to get in contact with you, how do they do that? Uh, they can go to my website, which is www.amitkhan.co, or they can find me on Instagram, that Ahmed Khan, or they can find me on LinkedIn uh, after the slash. It's just Ahmed Khan Co. So it's LinkedIn.com forward stroke Ahmed Khan Co. Uh, and they can find me on social media, or they can just go to my website and arrange a call or something, or just pop me an email and take things from there. Awesome, wonderful stuff, and as just uh, said, that will be in the show notes as well. Well, um, Ahmed, thank you for your time. Uh, really awesome to speak to you, and really inspiring to you know get a different take of different things that are working in different areas. So, you know, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me once again. Thanks.